Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we have Tony Castronovo on the show, and, and this show really gets back to the meat and potatoes of real estate investing. Tony's been in this industry for about seven years, and he's done the single family thing and transitioned to multifamily a few years back, and he really took off since then up to over 600 units. And you know he has so much knowledge that was put together over active investing. And this episode is an, is a wealth of knowledge because of that. And I don't know about you, Dre, but I, I took a few notes down and, and a few things I'm going to employ definitely, especially on the capital raising side that I learned today uh, from this episode. You want to jump in with a few a few thoughts here? Yeah, man. Uh, the ladder on multifamily real estate right here on this one, folks. He talked about the law of the first deal doing that 20 unit. Well, he actually started with single family homes first, but in multifamily specifically, starting with that 20 unit adding value to it, doing three refinances, which is not always the most common thing. So that was interesting insights from there. And then him going into doing 176 units as an LP, learning and leveraging that experience, as well as doing the active side of how the house, going to 300 units in class A, then doing another like 60 plus units as a class A. So he talks about, he in particular likes to do the value add approach with the C and the B class, but and in the end, ended up doing a couple of Class A deals. He also talks about 1031 in the beginning of the show. Lessons learned from that. A little bit of the basics of what a 1031 is in general and how he kind of did like a partial 1031 at the same time. So there's a lot of unique nuggets in this show about scaling to multifamily, going, starting out and expanding 1031s, networking, Raising capital, it's a good one. So without further ado, let's get into it. Tony Castronovo, founding and managing partner of Novo Multifamily Group, is a multifamily real estate entrepreneur with over seven years experience in acquisitions, underwriting, contract negotiations, due diligence, syndication, capital raising, construction and renovations, operations, asset management, and overall asset strategy implementation. So basically the whole... The whole shebang, right? Yeah. Tony is currently invested in over 650 units, including a combination of general partner, limited partner, co-general partner, and independent ownership. Tony is also a seasoned business management consultant, utilizing 25 years of experience advising clients on project portfolio investment management, and he holds a higher education degree in engineering and construction management. Tony, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We have, I got to shorten that bio up a little bit, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you have to fit everything in there. So we'll, we'll take all day if we got to read it. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, in that vein, how about you add a little more to it? Give us a little more color about your background, you know, what you started in before you got into real estate and how you transitioned into this space. All right. As you mentioned, I've got about seven years of experience in real estate. 
So like probably a lot of your listeners, I started in the single family space back in 2014. You know, I spent a lot of time to get that first property. They, they talk about the law of the first deal. And I think that holds both for single family as well as when I transitioned into multifamily. But I, I was in the single family buy and hold space for probably about four years. I tried a little bit of flipping in there as well, but mostly I was, I was having uh, rental properties, single family rental properties. In 2018, I was kind of at this, this I guess, cusp of looking at portfolio lenders and trying to hit the reset button on getting up to, to close to 10 single family properties and associated loans. And at that point, I said, you know, before I start really doing this and trying to scale a single family portfolio, I really need to look at multifamily. And so at that point in 2018, I made the shift and I packaged all my single family homes up as a single transaction, sold it to one investor. We 1031 exchanged that into my first multifamily. That was a 20 unit. And that was uh, the, the independent real estate owned type of uh, structure that you mentioned in my bio. Wow. There's something that I really wanted to ask you right off the top of my head. And that's what was the process like to A, you know, package all those properties and sell them at once, which I'm sure was like herding cats. And then also on top of that, to do a 1031 exchange, which, you know, when you talk about it in retrospect, sounds pretty, pretty easy to do. But during that time, you know, you're identifying properties and you're closing a deal while you're trying to, you know, work on the next one. How did you go about, you know, structuring all of that and and dealing with the day-to-day of that transaction? I'll answer it in two ways. From the packaging of it, and I'm a bit of a DIY guy and I'm trying to train myself not to be so much, right? The whole I'm a thing. We can't scale if we're always doing everything ourselves. But I do think that it's a good way to to learn and and try to understand the process. And so as I was thinking about how am I going to sell this? Well, I've always seen these OMs, right? Offering memorandums come through. Most of them that I've seen are in multifamily. But I thought, you know what? I'll just put together my own OM. I'll treat this off market. I've, you know, through the management consulting years, I've got enough skills to be able to, you know, lay out the financials, put together a nice marketing piece and and really try to push it and market it myself. And I just thought that was the way to go instead of bringing on a, a broker at that point. And I just used my network and I had multiple offers within a week. I had a little validation prior to putting that out there because I was actually talking with lenders as I was talking about getting into the space of multifamily. And I literally walked into a couple of different banks and I brought my my portfolio with me, which was a a very nice spreadsheet that kind of laid out one page for each property with the full underwriting for for each of the, the properties. And then a summary executive page that basically laid out every one of the properties and what did I buy it for? What did I get it appraised for? What's it cash flowing? You know, basically the whole portfolio. And and that was a, a great way to pitch it. I will tell you that it was very nerve wracking as I was trying to do the 1031 exchange. Because as you know, you have to identify three properties, right? The first property was not the property that I ended up purchasing. I was I had selected my three. We were proceeding with one. We actually got under contract. And the deal fell apart. And so I had to go with the backup plan. And so thankfully, it, 
was a property that we ended up closing on and we were able to move pretty quickly. And so how long did the whole process take from the thought that, hey, look, I'm, I want to package all of the properties I currently own and you know sell them off market into a then 1031, which I will then use to buy 20 units. How long did that process take you? It was about five months. We were thinking about you know preparing it all in March and then uh, ended up purchasing the 20 unit in August. Awesome. That's that's incredible. Dre, I don't know if you want to jump in there. Yeah, I just want to break it down a little bit more. Tony, thanks for sharing that that story. First of all, can you let me hit you on two fronts? Explain briefly what a 1031 is just for the listeners that don't know. And then can you dive into if you had to do a 1031 again, some lessons learned that you wish you knew and you would do differently? Yeah. So briefly, a 1031 exchange is just an opportunity to defer your capital gains taxes by purchasing a like-kind property and when you're selling some other property, right? So a lot of rules by the IRS, but essentially you have to identify three properties that you may close on. I believe it's within 45 days. And then you've got 180 days to actually close on one of those. So you're on this timeline. And if you don't end up you know, complying with the timeline, then you will incur those capital gains taxes. So now to, to answer the second part of your question, lessons learned. And I think that uh, I actually, to be honest with you, I, I kind of screwed up at the closing table. And so I ended up doing a partial 1031 exchange. There's something called boot, which is, you know, when you decide that you want to walk away from the closing table with some cash and you'll pay capital gains on that. Well, there was a, uh, a little confusion on terminology with my lender. And I forget the exact term that they use, but I think that they mentioned something like capital infusion. Somehow, how much money I was putting down got a little bit mixed up in the calculations and nobody ever caught it. And I walked away from the closing table with about 50 grand. And I was like, this is fantastic. I saved on capital gains taxes and I walked away with 50,000 and I bought this awesome property. I should have never walked away from the closing table with a dollar, but that was my lesson learned. So you got to make sure that you use all your proceeds from the sale into the new one if you want to avoid or, or defer all your capital gains taxes. Nice. That's a great nugget right there. So let's zoom out a bit and also fast forward at the same time. In your in your bio, we mentioned that you are you know at least a partial owner, general partner, or a partner on 650 units. Can you give, can you give the listeners an idea of what the unit mix, not mix, but the, the properties that you own are and the structure of the deals that you've done thus far? You bet. So we started with the 20 unit. That was that was an independently owned property. It was just me. I bought it by opening my checkbook. I had no idea how else to buy any real estate back then. And we've actually gone full cycle on that deal. We held it for about three years and it was a fantastic property to learn from. We refinanced it twice in those three years just because we kept performing and growing. And it was it was just a cash cow for us. That allowed us, the first refi allowed us to get into property number two, which was a 60 unit. 
And that 60 unit was a syndication. The syndication was me and one other partner, mostly a balance sheet partner. Uh, so really, I kind of did everything as far as asset management and you know the acquisition, the capital raising. We are actually under contract to sell that property now. It's kind of a quick turn for us. Since then, I also got involved from a limited partner standpoint. I invested in uh, one of my good friend's deals. I've uh, been watching him for a while as he's been growing his business. It's 176 units in uh, kind of a suburb of Houston. Uh, kind of class C, B minus type property. Uh, and then just recently in December, I actually closed on a 396 unit class A deal. That was, uh, you know, the phrase proximity is power. Well, that was literally just being in the right place, the right time, meeting somebody who was a very seasoned operator who was looking for additional help to join the partnership. And so I, I jumped in on that and it all moved very quickly. That experience got me some exposure to a couple of other general partners that had another deal, happened to be another class A. And that's a 60 unit. And so we're actually about to close on that sometime this month. We'll, we'll probably look toward the end of the month to close. But that that's another class A. I'm not looking for class A, but they just kind of came up and they're good opportunities. And then just recently, it's not part of the 650 that you mentioned, but just recently, I joined another team to take down a Class C property in Oklahoma City, and that's another 80 units. So we're getting ready to kind of gear up marketing and capital raising and just kind of put the fine tunes on the due diligence at this point. Wow. And, and I mean, just going through that timeline, you can really understand the sequence of, of growth in your business. and kind of how it came to be, which makes me want to sort of rewind and ask you to expound a bit on the proximity is power situation where you were, you found yourself in a relatively large class A deal that I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have gotten exposed to had you not been in the right circles. So can you expound on the proximity is power ideal and how that's affected you, especially with that deal? Yeah. I mean, I always believe not just networking, but working on relationships. I mean, that's you know, they, they, everybody always says that multifamily is a team sport, right? And and that's where the difference was. When I was doing that 20 unit by myself and then doing the, the next 60 unit with one partner, but yet still kind of a silent partner, right? He was just a balance sheet partner, but it was a step up from doing it all myself. That started getting me thinking that, you know, I've really got to think about partnerships and teams if I really want to grow, and so I, I joined a mentoring program that allowed me to meet a lot of uh, like-minded folks, you know, even like yourself. And that allowed me to position myself into, you know, we'll call it networking events, but expanding on relationships that perhaps I developed, you know, through social media and so forth, and then meeting people in person and cultivating those relationships to the point where... They said, you know what, you're somebody I like and trust. How about you join our deal? Awesome. So another question that I have for you, and this one I think is great to ask you since you are near the close of a deal that's that's going right now, and you're going to start the process of marketing and raising for a deal that you, you recently got under contract. So the question is this, and this is for the newer syndicators out there, people that want to possibly 
get out there and raise, you know, private money, find LPs and put a deal together. What are the the steps that you plan on taking for this OKC deal and that you recently took for the 60 unit that is getting ready to close? Where'd you go? The day you you find out, okay, I'm getting this deal under contract. I'm going to be able to to close on it. What what steps did you take to raise the capital, market it, and get it all the way to the finish line? Yeah, I I think every deal is a little bit different. And your listeners may know, you know, you can you can do a 506B or a 506C when you do a syndication. 506C basically says, you know, you can broadcast it to the world. You can really go to town on your marketing, but it's all accredited investors. A 506B says that you can accept up to 35 sophisticated investors as well as unlimited accredited investors, but you cannot broadly advertise and you need to have a pre-existing substantive relationship with those, those investors. So the approach is a little bit different. My first indication was a 506B, so kind of the friends and family approach. Then I did two 506Cs, and now the Oklahoma City deal, we're very likely going to do a 506B. And the interesting strategy, if you will, that's kind of unfolding for me, I'm learning about this, is doing two 506Cs in a row where I could only accept accredited investors allowed me to blast out a lot of information and get a lot of exposure on some really great deals. But unfortunately, not everybody could participate in them. So I've got this pent-up demand of people who really want to participate in the deal just haven't had that opportunity. So I, I think it could be a good strategy to you know do a couple C's, do a B, do a couple C's, do a B. And you know part of the strategy too is how big is the capital raise? Because if you're only taking 35 sophisticated investors, you know, even let's just make up a number and say the minimum is 50,000. That doesn't get you very far. You're not going to raise more than a couple million dollars out of that. And if you've got a very large raise, you may need to just go straight to a 506C. But I think in this case, you know, our property's uh, a little bit on the smaller end. It's 80 units, Oklahoma City, price per doors, you know, very reasonable. We should be okay to do a 506B. Nice. And so, Andre, I know we want to take it to the next step, but I have one more question for you, Tony. And that's, you know, you mentioned that the last two deals that you're getting ready to close here were class A, but that's not exactly what you're looking for in today's market. So that begs the question, in today's economy, in today's real estate market, what are you looking for? What's, what constitutes a good deal to you? It's funny because what I'm looking for is not what I have at all. I'm open to other opportunities, you know, kind of on the fringes, but I just haven't got something down the fairway yet. Down the fairway for me is somewhere between 120, 160 units in Houston, San Antonio, or Oklahoma City, Class B, 1975 or better, ideally something that's that's 1980 or better, modest value add, not a train wreck, but you know we're definitely you know okay to roll up our sleeves and and drive both uh, operational value add as well as a physical value add with renovations. Uh, I just, I've been less than 120 units. I've been greater than 160 units, <laughs> class C, class A, <laughs> but I haven't gotten that, that B class yet. And so why is that your criteria? Is it because it, it works best with your skill set? Is it because you think that's the, 
the best risk reward in today's economy? Why do you choose that specific criteria? So part of this is I like to have fun. And not to say you can't have fun in a class A. I mean, I love going out and driving the class A's and there's, you know, resort style swimming pool and cabanas and, you know, it's amazing. But I have a background in construction. I love the idea of taking something that's been dilapidated and and trying to bring life to it and provide some some fantastic housing for for people who really want to to stay at our properties. But I also, on the flip side, need to balance that return on effort. With some of my class C's where... Uh, you know, very early 60s vintage properties that have a ton of capital improvement needs, both above ground and underground and, you know, on top of the roof and underneath the roof. I mean, just all over the place. That CapEx tsunami, sometimes we say, right? I just, I, I don't really want to get into much more of that. And so not looking for anything with the roof falling in and, <laughs> you know, anything too major. Awesome. We're going to move on to the next part of the show. The legacy round is an open forum, Tony, of your favorite acquisition that changed the trajectory of your business or life. Practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. So I'll leave you to choose a one of the three. We can talk about the, the property that sort of changed things for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it was that that first multifamily. And the reason why it, it changed things for me, and, and it was the 20 unit. And the reason why I changed things for me is up until that point, I was self-managing my single family properties. So a big change for me was letting go of some control and hiring third-party property management. Another big change for me was the long-distance investing. Up until that point, I could easily drive within 30 minutes to any of my properties and visit at any time. This property was was about an hour and a half away. It's a little harder to get to quickly. So I had to just, you know, trust, hire the right people. And so those were big changes for me. And I just couldn't be as involved as I was in, in all my single families that were just down the road here. So I think those were some big things. And then I think another big change was when I did my single families, they were vacant. And so I could choose my tenant base and, you know, really screen folks and bring in quality tenants. The multifamily, it wasn't empty. I inherited a whole bunch of tenants that had no reason to be there. And so that requires a lot of sort of repositioning and, uh, you know, some gentrification, I guess they say. And, and that's a whole different sort of mindset to get past. So I grew substantially on that first property. Well, I imagine you did some pretty heavy value add pieces to add value to the property because you did three free refinances. So maybe you want to touch in a little bit more details on each refinance, what you did to increase value to be able to refinance each time. Yeah. I mean, the, the first time was the biggest lift. So that was within the first year. And it was it was uh, pretty rough and I mean, we we literally had we had hoarders, we had you know ceilings caving in, we had to day one replace the, the roof. It was a flat roof, single building. So we had to replace the roof, we had to replace all the HVAC systems that were well over 20 years old and everything was kind of breaking down. That property, thankfully, we didn't have a lot of cast iron issues as far as plumbing goes. 
but we did have a lot of rot in some of the uh, balconies. So we had uh, property consisted of five quads and three of the five balconies needed to be completely just ripped out, new framing, new concrete. And every unit we renovated, we probably put in, oh, I would say between nine and 10K a unit. And we, we rose rent, we were able to bring the rents up from $500 when we purchased to over $750 when we sold. So pretty substantial increase. You know, so first time we refinanced it, it was truly just to pull out some cash to go do that next deal. The second time we actually drove the uh, the operations much better. Now we're 100% occupied and we got to optimize the operations at that point. And that allowed us to continue to grow NOI, which allowed us to, you know, add additional few hundred thousand into the value and pulled money out to uh, to really go after our, our 60 unit deal. I do. All right, we're going to move on to the last part of the show, the Giordano Ron. As you know, this is the multifamily by the size podcast. Giordano's is the number one pizza spot in Chicago, known for those deep, meaty slices of pizza. You can only eat one or two at a time. So it's going to be a series of different questions. Ike and I are going to go back and forth, and our listeners are going to get a lot of slices of knowledge from each one. So the first one, Tony, you're in the highest mountain in the world, and you have your last words that you can shout out to everyone before you die. What will you scream out to the world and want them to remember you by? So I'm going to steal a... Uh a Gatorade ad from many years ago. And it goes something like this. You have a choice. You can throw in the towel or you can use it to wipe sweat off your face. I just, I, I believe in that quote so much, man. I mean, it's, it's like, look, it's going to get hard. You're going to be busting your butt, putting in the work and you can keel over and just, you know, decide you're done or you can just buckle up and put in the reps. I get it. Love it. All right. Next question. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? So um, you're going to have to allow me just a, a quick little story on this. I, I know sure. we're short on time, but what I would say is don't be afraid to trust your instincts and go for it. And the story here, just to give you a little imagery, I never forget this. I, I took my, my family to a place called Jasper, Arkansas. Uh, it was a, kind of a mecca for rock climbing. And, you know, we're out there climbing the wall. And at one point, I was, I felt stuck. I was like, I can't go any higher. I have nothing that my hands can grab onto. And the, the guy that I was with, he said, push with your feet. And I was thinking, how am I going to push with my feet? I have no idea what might be up there, whether I'm going to grab something or I'm going to fall. And he said, just push with your feet. You will find something if you just give yourself a chance. And, and that I just remember so much that sometimes what you're reaching for may not be readily apparent, but if you trust your instincts, you'll figure it out. Nice. I like it. I like That's it. Nice. Vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? So the first one's NOI, net operating income. And, and why I like it is ultimately that's that's in your control. That's what you can manage. That's what you can drive and optimize. 
And ultimately, that's where you're going to create value and wealth in a property. And the second one's T12. And, and that's the trailing 12 months. It's a, it's a report that you'll get when you're working with a seller, let's say, and you're, you're trying to purchase an asset. And the T12 is like a storybook. It tells you how the property has been performing, where it's potentially going, the trends and the peaks and the valleys. And you can really tell quite a bit about what's going on and what has been going on in the property just by reading that report. And then the last one, is cash on cash return, which is simply just your cash flow divided by your capital invested. And obviously that's what we're all in it for. So um, I think uh, cash on cash return is sort of a, a syndicator with what we live by. We, we have to sell that to our investor base. And of course, you know, if we're putting food on the table, then that's also important to us. That's the first day of real estate 101 right there. So that we, we touched on those. All right. Last question. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? So I, I got a couple of books here. And I got to say that I was, I was a, a voracious reader for many years, a lot of self-development books, especially like on leadership and a lot of sales books. And then it kind of fell off the wagon for a while. As I, as I got immersed into my mentoring group, I really committed to reading a book a month. So I'm starting to pick up some pace on, on some of these books. There's a couple that I'll mention here. Um, one is actually uh, written by a broker out of Florida. His name is Bo Berry. Bo's a pretty dynamic guy, does a lot on, on social media. He read a, uh, wrote a book called Multifamily Investors Who Dominate. And the reason why I like that book is it really talks about elite investors and, and the mindset shift and how you differentiate between just your run-of-the-mill investor who's nickel and diming and, and trying to make it versus somebody who is the first person a broker wants to call when they have a new deal. So kind of uh, trying to aspire to be an elite investor. And then the second one I'll leave you with is a book called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. I think the, the interesting thing, whether you're pitching real estate or anything that you're trying to persuade somebody on to participate in or to invest in, is really thinking about how we buy and the emotional side of things and really trying to get kind of pass somebody's analytical thinking and really think about their emotional side. I think it's it's a great reminder to us all that we tend to make decisions pretty quickly in our mind. I think it's just a few seconds of seeing something or hearing about something. We've kind of made our mind up already and trying to make people aware of those things as they approach, you know, working with investors and especially if you're a syndicator, you're trying to pitch deals. Awesome. That was great. Thank you again, Tony, for your time. We appreciate having you on the show. Tell our Mossai family about a slice listeners how they can best get in touch with you. Absolutely. They can reach me by email, and that is Tony, T O N Y, at Novo, N O V O, multifamilygroup.com. They can also hit me up on my website, which is Novo, multifamilygroup.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. There you have it, folks. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening to another show with Tony here. Subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star review. Have a blessed day. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. 
be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.